We spend so much time with uh, the bracketology people. And look, we love Jerry Palm. Friend of the program, respected name. This isn't a shot at him. But there's a website that keeps track of everyone. And, and it goes over, you know, at least a five-year average in terms of how accurate people are and project, pro, accurately projecting the seating. I think there's 174 people who do it. And Jerry's not in the top 100. Joe Lenardi, who we also put on TV, and we have to, to worry about him in the middle of games, and we have to listen to him, you know, try to craft a narrative. He just moved into the top 100. He's number 98. Is there anybody else that you look at, Bob, or you look at, Sam, in terms of reading and and seeing their bracketology? Because, quite frankly, those are the only two I look at because they work for the two biggest companies. And Even though I know Joe Lenardi's not thought of as a good bracketologist, and I know Jerry Palm isn't thought of as a great bracketologist, I still give them the benefit of the doubt just because I go to their websites more. One that I uh, have kept an eye on from time to time, I haven't recently, is Mike DeCourcy, who used to be with the Sporting News, and he does stuff now with Big Ten Network and Fox. Do you see where he sizes up? He's number 75. So he's he's in the upper half of 174 people who, who have publications or websites and have done it for at least five years. So, I mean, like, he's he's not terrible. You know, some of these things are blogs, you know, I've never heard of. Shout out to this guy. He has to feel like the man. Jake Liker. Jake Liker's bracketology. He gets credit for being the third best bracketologist in the in America. And he's, like, using his name doing it. So, so good for him. Good branding there. Jake Liker's bracketology. I imagine that's, like, on a, a WordPress or <laughs> Tumblr. Crazy sports dude comes in at number five. <laughs> I like that as a brand. Just crazy sports dude. That guy's so wacky. But he knows his brackets. I'll tell you that. Fifth best in the world. Why don't we put him on ESPN? Or how about this for branding? Great, great name and way to live up to the brand, boys. Bracketometry. <laughs> number one. The best bracketologist in the world at bracketometry. I want them on my TV because we, we spend so much time. and That's part of the reason, Bob, that I say I don't pay attention too much to bracketology is because the guys that we are supposed to listen to, they don't do that good at doing it. Now, you know, I don't know how often these other guys are, are updating or how, you know, if they're doing as many if they're just kind of waiting to right before to give their take or you know if they're in, if they're in the game I'm at bracketometry.com and I'm looking at his and you know his 4-1 seeds no surprise there Purdue, Houston, Yukon. he's got Arizona right now so the best bracketologist in the world has Arizona not North Carolina he's got Tennessee and Purdue in the Midwest this is my guy and his website is just it's a nice looking bracket, much like you would just see like whenever you actually print your bracket. He just fills out the team's names there, and and then it's got a picture of him, just wearing a hat and smiling. Look at him. This is the best bracketologist in the world, right here, Bob. This is his website. Wow. He doesn't need the worldwide leader behind him. 
He doesn't need that. He's got his little website, and he's got a picture of him cheesing in a hat. And that's it. He's got a link to his Twitter. Bracket Dom. The GOAT. I wonder how you even get picked up by this place. Yeah, I don't know if you have to submit. I don't know if you have to, like, you know, because surely they're just not, like, scouring the internet. Because I have a friend in in college football. He does this thing all season long. Uh, he calls it the power pole, and he, he he's got some time on his hands. He creates like rankings for the whole season. It's like, and I might think my thinking is always like, you know, there's polls we can refer to for that. But you know, if if you like doing it, then go do it. But my point is, to me, that's no different than Dom doing his uh, his brackets. So how does he get the coverage? I imagine you have to submit. Yeah. And like give this this bracket matrix website a, a heads up of hey, I want to be submitted to to being ranked here and get the RPI score. We should do a bracket. I've sent bracket Dom a follow. We'll try to get him on the show. Uh, no disrespect to Palm. I, I want the king of brackets. <laughs> Nation's number one ranked bracketologist is what his bio says. Sixty-seven of sixty-eight correct in two thousand twenty-three. Within one seed line. And who's his fourth number one? Is it? It's uh, Arizona, Arizona right now. Okay. So, Sam, when it says within one seed line, does that just mean he says there are one seed and there were two seed? Is that considered to be within a seed line? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Is that that hard? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably gets harder if you go further down. No, yeah, yeah, sure, but I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. At the uh, top, it ob- seems ob- very simple. Obviously, but that also proves that you get about 16 gimmies. Yeah. <laughs> if you're doing just within one seed line, like, you, you get you get a lot of gimmies. And then you get to the automatic qualifiers, and, hey, like, I got a pretty good idea that whoever wins the MEAC is going to be a 16 seed. <laughs> I'll be within one seed line because I'm going to put 15, and either it'll be 16 or 14, and then I'm in there. Because, I mean, to me it sounds a little – it doesn't sound that hard, I guess. No, that's what I'm saying. I almost want to do a bracket now if I had the time. Start. I want to become a bracketologist. Would you feel a little bit like a phony for at least somewhat copying other people's work? Because we've talked enough about brackets where we have yeah. a, kind of an outline of where people have them projected. We're not necessarily starting from scratch. Cause well, there's, there's definitely, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like um, unintended crowdsourcing. Yeah. Could, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. When I was younger, I, you know, when I was doing like a blog or something, I was doing like a mock draft. I was like, I'm just l- looking at everyone's and just moving a couple pieces around. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. Got that pick right. I didn't know. I didn't talk to anybody. I wasn't doing any intel. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, how am I going to see like Appalachian State based on what I've seen of them? You know, uh, I mean, we, I think we could be a, I think we could use a combination of Kim Palm and resume, though. I think we could do a pretty good job. Yeah. Of, of piecing something together. Maybe we will do a bracketology. But we got to do it for five years. we got to keep the interest for five years. What's our over-under of teams we get correct in the field? For, oh, for bracketology? Yeah. If just, we did our own. Just teams in the field, what's our over-under? You know, keep in mind automatic qualifiers and and a lot of teams are going to – you're obviously going to know. It really only comes down to like – I'd go high. I'd say 50. Oh, no. I'd say getting just just getting the teams right. I would say sixty four is our over under. You think? You don't agree? I mean, like, it, am I wrong when Selection Sunday comes? There's really only like four toss ups, right? There's usually only like four or five bubble teams. Like, 
I think it really de- uh, I think it really depends on what happens in some of these conference tournaments where you know the where there's only going to be one bid. Sure. You know, or two bids or something like sure, that. Sure, but like you know, like you oh, probably get most of them. Like oh, Indiana State, they're on the bubble. Like you know, if if they don't make win their tournament, are they in or are they out? Like that, that's one team. Then there'll be like three or four teams that are considered to be. So there'll be eight teams that are considered first four in or out, last four in. It's going to hit fifty percent of those to get sixty four teams. So no, I think fifty is way too low, Bob. Now, if you're saying how many we get around right the seed line too, or within one seed line. Maybe that becomes fifty. Mm-hmm. That I would say maybe is more of a of a realistic projection. But I would think that we as a show could get. I'm gonna set the over under at fifty eight and a half in terms of getting them within one seed line. Too high or too low? You think we could do it? Bob doesn't believe in us. Sam, do you believe in us? Within one seed line might get tough. Towards the back half, I feel you like. You get three seeds. But. You get one up and one down. How many teams are you going to be like, oh, that's a 15 seed or a 14 seed, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're 11? That doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I bet you could get at least 55. I'm setting the over at 58 and a half, and I hate that I believe in us so much more than you do, Sam, and way, way more than Bob does. How many automatic qualifiers are there, Bob? There's like 30 conferences, right? 35 conferences, 36, is that right? You guys only getting 14 at-large teams, right? Come on, Bob. Yeah, I think we Believe could do, in us. I think we could get I think we could definitely get above 50. I think 55 to 60. I think 58 is a pretty solid over under. Again, within one seed line, you, you get you get 3. You get 3. Yeah. Name a team right now. and just yeah, I'll do it blind. It. I don't even need to look at the resume. Name a team right now, then check me off the latest bracketology, Bob. Let's go. You're Oklahoma guys. Okay, I said 10 seed. So, but if I was playing the game, I would say 9 seed. No, hold on. Let's play the actual game. I wanted to say 8 seed. So I want 7, 8, and 9. Okay. That's what I want. So I'm saying 8. Now, this isn't necessarily blind because I have looked at like I saw their net rating. was like in the third, like 38 or so, 39, wherever it was at. Are you looking it up? I thought Bob was my oh. bad. <laughs> what, what, no, I'm sorry. I'm I thought you were going to cross-reference. Yeah, see, see it where they're projected right now. <laughs> I thought Bob had the Hold bracketology on, I, I got pulled, this pulled up. up. I got this pulled up. Is Oklahoma not even in the damn field, or is this not searchable? Oklahoma's an eight seed. Okay. What did I say? Eight seed. One for one. One for one, Bob. <laughs> and that was just completely random. Give me another one. New Mexico. Sounds like a 12 seed to me, so I'll say 13 seed because <laughs> okay. I want 12, 13, and 14. New okay. Mexico. or I, You could really get me here. Ah, oh, they're a 9 seed. Damn it, I missed that. <laughs> now, let me check their, their metrics cause, and see if I would have made a different decision. They're 26 in the net. If you oh, okay, I would have made a different decision okay. knowing they were 26 okay. in the net. That was okay. blind. Okay. That was blind. Um, Here's one. Boise State. Now, you're going to really get me if all of a sudden you're just telling me teams that are not even in the field. Like, like, <laughs> no, 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 they're, they're, no, they're projected in the field. Okay, this one I'm going to look because I already lost the game. Boise State's a 31 net. They're 5-5 five and five against quad one. I mean, does that not say 8 seed as well? Yeah, they have them as an 8. Okay. McNeese. Assuming they're in the tournament, they're going to be a 15 seed. So I'll say 15. They'll definitely be. Well, they 16, 15, or 14. Like There are 13, though, at least where I'm looking at it. Okay. And again, I haven't looked at the resume. <laughs> Northwestern. <laughs> That screams playing team to me. That screams eleven seats. So I'll say, I'll say eleven. That feels like an eleven to me too. 
Jerry yeah. Palm's got him as a nine. McNeese is all the way up at 55. So, yeah, I think they – McNeese is good. Yeah, they, they get a little credit. we got to go to break, though. we got Trey Wallace coming up afterwards. <laughs> we'll talk some Tennessee versus the NCAA. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. It's your hot-blooded sister. I'm sure there's a man for to love her and miss her. Let's talk some Tennessee versus the NCAA with friend of fan run, Trey Wallace, outkick the coverage, Fox Sports. Trey, good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How about y'all? Doing good. Are you still reeling from that NASCAR race this weekend? Yeah, that was fun. Oh, my goodness gracious. I thought uh, I thought the 23 car could maybe split up in there, but uh, no, that was, uh, man, that was one of the best darn NASCAR races Long time, so good times. On Friday, you had federal court judge side with Tennessee in the NIL case that's going on right now. How big of yeah. a win for that was Tennessee? What's next in the process? Yeah, I, I look. I, I think it's it's pretty darn massive um, for for both states, uh, Tennessee and Virginia, and including the whole NCAA, but but mainly you know some of the schools, you know Tennessee. You know, Memphis, if they want to go there, MTSU, then, you know, you have Virginia, Virginia Tech, and so on. I, and, and then now, you know, the biggest thing now is, is, is states trying to figure out, you know, okay, do we have to just throw our names into a lawsuit to make sure that this actually includes us, or are we okay? And I, I think the majority of the opinions uh, out there right now from different collectives across the country is, is that they're good is that the NCAA is not going to be coming after them, um, you know, over the next, let's just say, two years as, as they try to figure this out. Um, Charlie Baker, you know, NCAA president, kind of freaked out, sent a memo out to the different, you know, all member institutions yesterday, but pretty much saying, look, we're trying to figure out what the, the guidelines here and how to navigate this um, while this injunction is in place. And, you know, this is just, um, I think I think for two things. I think it's big for college athletics because these prospects now are going to be able to go out and to be able to, to negotiate right off the bat, you know, when it comes to how much they're going to make at a certain university. Um, and, and I think the other thing that maybe is a little bit bigger than this, you know, does this, does this back the NCAA off of Tennessee, the university itself? Um, because there was a a lot a lot of smoke uh, over the last three months per se, probably about three months per se, that that the NCAA was going to hand down Tennessee a notice of allegations um, that it was going to come after them for everything that happened, you know, during the Nico recruitment, uh, some stuff that that happened with with Tony V. I've talked about it with you guys and and Rod Clark, kind of trying to bundle some things up and. And now, you know, the NCAA might might just say, okay, no, we're, we're not going to give them a notice of allegations, and, and you can go on your merry way. Um, but there's still a part of me, John, still a part of me thinks that the NCAA worked that hard for eight months on trying to find stuff on the University of Tennessee that, that they're not just going to tuck and run, that they potentially might still throw out a notice of allegations and, and just see where it sticks to, to coming to some of the smaller potential violations hey trey good morning bud hey um, bob hey man um so staying on that note is kind of a next step with the ncaa uh, 
there's part of me that thinks we we've talked about this obviously not a death blow but it's you know it's got them on their heels a little bit they're gonna yeah you know there's talk of them appealing uh you know continuing to go to congress and ask you know what can happen just based from your perception of all of this you know by following it um is this something that the ncaa tries to keep the train moving does this slow them down to an extent where they really have to go back and regroup um and also the other thing i think about is uh i've said this on a a couple of occasions uh with all due respect to collegiate sports and amateurism and all these things and we we're big fans but for congress there's feels like they got a few bigger things that they're that they're worrying about <laughs> these days in our country. I'm just wondering, you know, from your perspective, what, you know, do you think that this is a setback to the extent that it just kind of a lot of it falls off the radar for a little bit or is the NCAA just going to keep keep pushing? You know, and and talking with a number of different athletic directors and administrators uh over the last, you know, 3 weeks while this case has kind of been going on and and even, you know, talked to them after Friday, um, still kind of under the impression that they th- think the NCAA might try to push this thing forward uh, when it comes to the federal court system um, and, and maybe throw out the appeal. The problem is, is you know, this could be a two-year process, Bob. Um, you know, the the you know I remember sitting in the courtroom and the and the judge, you know, Corker sat there and asked both sides, "Hey, look, how long, how long would it take for you guys when it comes to discovery?" Uh, when it comes to you guys, you know, sitting down and, and doing depositions and, and having this ready for, for a potential trial or and whatnot. And, and both sides could not give an answer. And I think that's, that's the problem here for the NCAA, is that there's so many different cases going on right now. And there's so many different obstacles when it comes to this one in East Tennessee. It's where do you draw the line and say, okay, look, screw the case. Let's try to go back and figure out how we can navigate this through potential new rules uh, and, and talk with our member institutions and, and figure out a way. Because, I, I look, the NCAA enforcement staff is, is kind of dwindled down to, I'll just try to give an example, um, maybe an academic problem. Like maybe something, if something comes out of the Memphis case, you know, that the, the – that they're investigating one player over right now. Or, or if something happens, you know, again, like North Carolina or something like that. Like, that's what you're looking at with the NCAA. They, they have no ability to punish any schools when it comes to name, image, and likeness. And let's be honest, a lot of the name, image, and likeness stuff is also bundled into recruiting violations. Now, can the NCAA you know, sit around and enforce, okay, bump violations and, you know, did they, you know, did they spend more on an official visit than they should have? Did they have more people? Sure. You know, they, they can do something along those lines. But when it comes to you know, hammering programs and, and keeping investigations open and, you know, even like Jaden Rashada at Florida, you know, how long do you, how long do you kind of keep that one open knowing that the NIL rules that are in place now – really just derail whatever you're trying to investigate Florida for. And there was a lot. Um, so a part of me, you know, in, in talking with folks, thinks that the NCAA just doesn't want to give up on this stuff after all the work that they put in. Um, but the other side just says, okay, you know, that, that they, they've got enough going on in trying to change these rules. And you saw that statement from the NCAA in relation to 
Friday's uh, judgment where they said, okay, we're going to get congressman. Man, look, I've spoken with enough people in Washington uh, and, and just being obvious on the fact you got an election coming up. Uh, you got you got war going on across. Nobody, what I mean, nobody's worried about NIL and NCAA. And if they are putting out statements right now, and they are are holding, you know, these oversight committees or people going and testifying, they're doing it a lot, you know, for show. I think when it comes down to it, when it comes to Congress, I think you know, potentially after the election, okay, maybe they can sit down and and discuss how to go forward with the NCAA. But the problem right now is you, you kind of hit it. There's, there's too much stuff going on for them to worry about, you know, college athletes getting paid. And, and I think that what we have seen so far has been kind of marketing tools by certain congressmen, congresswomen, when it comes to, oh, let me get in this NIL fight. You know, this this will help. This will show people that I should be reelected. You know, I'm, I'm here and looking out for the players and whatnot. So, I think some of it is a farce. I do think down the road, I think, I think the NCAA is going to beg enough where where Congress potentially gets involved. But you know, it just feels like we're all headed, you know, towards a system where you're going to have to start paying these players at a university level. And and if that's the case, and you make them employees, it, we're in a different game because you could bring a lot of these collectives in house. You could have universities handling this stuff uh, when it comes to you know divvying out payments or how much somebody's worth. Um, and, and a lot of colleges, you know, they they don't really feel like doing that because it just brings on a different aspect. Because pretty much when you bring in a general manager, you know, I know college football programs have general managers. You got to bring in a general manager to handle salary and 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 and, and collective money and whatnot, like. There's a lot that goes into it where you can just put this off to the collectives, kind of let them run their thing, and um, hopefully it just doesn't go absolutely crazy, which I think we're about to see in the spring portal period, unfortunately. We're talking to Trey Wallace from OutKick. Trey, I'm going to use that as a dovetail to another question, and I want to yeah. get, get your interpretation on this. Is um, you were just talking about some of this about employees, you know, designating the athletes as employees. So uh, one of the one of the fallout pieces of all of this uh, in terms of the ruling was athletic department officials can now facilitate NIL deals. Now, probably behind the scenes, we know that they're always uh, working in lockstep to some degree with the collectives. But does this change from your point of view? Does this change that relationship as far as? Can they just, I guess, operate more out in the open with the collectives at this point? And then what really, if that's the case, if the athletic department officials can facilitate these deals, then then the collective, is it just basically more of a, a fundraising arm at that point? I, I think that when it comes down to the universities itself and, and, and athletic departments handling this, I think that's what you could get to if these players are made or classified as employees. I think right now, okay, if, you, if you're asking a question, can a collective sit there and, and share monetary figures with, you know, athletic departments and so They're kind of already doing that pretty much, you know, behind the scenes. Um, you know, they, 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 we'd be oblivious to not point out the obvious. 
which is, okay, these coaches, these athletic directors, these administrators, they got a, they got a really good feel uh, about how much a certain player is making per year. And you have to also throw in the fact that you have different companies out there that like to help handle this type of stuff. There's a company called Appliance. Open Doors is another one I think people have heard of uh, that kind of helps student athletes when it comes to their taxes and, and their NIL deals that are thrown in. I think that overall, when we're looking at the relationship between a collective and a school, I, I do think it kind of kind of becomes more open. I mean, you're not going to see you're not going to see monetary figures thrown out there by the school or whatnot. But here's what I do think is going to happen: you're going to start seeing bidding wars uh, between different collectives and schools, uh, and that's a fine line between the school doing it and a collective doing it. But you're going to see a lot more in those terms. You're going to see, okay, some kid was offered 450000 Okay, well, let's just say Ohio State comes back. Okay, we're going to offer 550000 And it kind of gets into a bidding war. I think, I think that's where you're going to see some of these lawyers, these agents and whatnot, try to use – members of the media to their advantage to get stuff out there and, and, and to throw things when it comes to, okay, you know, this is what we have going on right now. You know, what, what, you know, at least put it out there to make it seem like we've got something going on between schools and there's going to be bigger fights. I, I don't think we ever, I wrote about this. I don't think we ever get back to the point where you got Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, you know, just going at each other. Um, when it comes to NIL. I mean, that was just beautiful, the way that that played out in 2022. But I do think uh, this thing ramps up even more because you have the ability now, a collective does, collective go in there and sit down with a player before they even sign with a school. Let's say you got a player that, that is, I don't know, contemplating three different schools. You can go in there now with the student athlete, a prospect, or grad transfer, or portal player, whoever, and you can say, okay, we're offering you $500,000 over a two-year period, or we're offering you, you know, $600,000 over three years, and, you know, you have a way out of this. And at the same time, okay, 10 minutes later after that meeting's over, here comes LSU into the door, and they're going to sit down and have a conversation. You know, so I think that's where we're kind of going to. And I think the universities and in, in, in the athletic departments, first off, you you need to be made aware of this type of stuff because it affects your school. But it's going to be very interesting to me to see Bob, coaches going to start talking about this. You know, who, who's going to start talking about it in these athletic departments? Like that that's the thing to me that I'm waiting on. Okay, you're going to you know hire a spokesperson just for for NIL purposes if you potentially bring a lot of their stuff in-house. Like, There's a lot of different things that could happen, in my opinion, over the next year that I think changes the game up and, and maybe freaks spoke out just a little bit more than they are right now. Um, but at the end of the day, this is what it is. It's pay-for-play. I mean, it, it's not it's not you're doing the, the local commercial, you know, for, 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 you know, I don't know, an air conditioner company or whatnot. It's about, hey, this is how much money we want to offer you to come here. And if you come here, you do have the opportunities to, to find local gigs and whatnot because, Bob, as you know, and anybody else, there's only a certain percentage of players that actually get these national deals that are paying off big money. 
Trey Wallace, appreciate you for your time. Outkick.com. As busy of a man as you can be. You're a hard worker, Trey. I've always said that about you. You cover the sport very well. No one covers the SEC better. And I got to say, maybe my favorite thing about you, Trey, is that you are a college football writer that seems to still like college football. A lot of the media type <laughs> seem to not like college sports. No, no. I just want to sit there and uh, bitch and complain about it uh, for, for, for doing their job, which is amazing to me. So, no, it's uh, – Man, it's 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 a it's a busy time, a fun time. We got the combine this week, and we got uh, you know spring meetings will be here before you know it, and and tucked in between there, we got some great college basketball this week. I know you guys uh, got your ears up, looking forward to Auburn and, and Alabama this week, and and in the meantime, Tony Vitello is still building a monster over there on the hills. So always fun. Glad I'm still living in the area and get to check out some great uh, college action. On the way out, last question. I need you to do your booking for nights one and nights two of of WrestleMania. Do you think we're getting a tag team match night one with the Bloodline and, and Cody and Seth, or how do you want to see it go? So I think I think okay. So the way that they could go, they could double this thing up. Is I think you do Cody and Seth versus Roman and Brock night one. Come back night two. You got Seth versus McIntyre. And then you would have Cody versus Reigns, and you could set up some stipulation in the first first night where if that team loses, pick a special guest referee. I think The Rock ends up being the special guest referee for Roman and Cody. He screws over Roman. Now we have that big feud heading to SummerSlam. That's kind of where I'm at right now. All could change, but that's where I'm going right now. We do see both of them on both nights. Well, see, I'm a Seth guy, as you know, and I'm just really confused as to what they're doing with him because why would it make sense for him to have a tag team match night one and then defend his title against someone else night two? What's the purpose of doing that? It seems like a bad strategy for keeping your belt, especially with a broken back. So I don't know. I don't know. It's so weird. I don't know how they're going to pull this off. You saw where Cody, you know, challenged The Rock. The Rock yeah, it's... But you can't, you can't do that. This is not a Daniel Bryan situation, you know what I mean? And that wasn't one night, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, you're going to do that night one and just have Seth off to the side here, or are you going to try to play things up? Because if you've got the Rock at WrestleMania, you've got to use them for both nights. You can't just use them for one night. you got to use them for both nights. Um, so that's where it gets interesting to me is, okay, we have an attack match here, or, or, or are we going to have – some kind of shamash happened, and The Rock turns on Roman one of these nights, and it starts setting up a long piece. I, I don't know. I, I am very intrigued to see where this thing goes over the next, I don't know, we've got four or five weeks ahead of us. So um, just just get the strap on Cody, and then make it Rock versus Roman. You can sell out wherever you want to do, you know, SummerSlam at. Um, but, uh, but we'll see. That, they've got me sucked in. Like, I wasn't sucked into WWE for a while. I turned, I kind of go went to an AEW type of guy for a little bit. I really enjoyed that product. I'll be at Sting's final match this weekend. And don't yuck me. P-U. Don't yuck me. AEW's still got a good product. AEW's um, the Max Homa, uh, to go back to our one. You weren't listening. They're, they're the Max Homa okay. of the golf world. Okay, okay. But, but, but I will say, the best cinema that we have had in professional wrestling in the last 20 years has been the bloodline. I'm absolutely... 
all in for this thing, and I'm very curious to see how this thing plays out. I'm really, I'm really weeks. hoping Roman keeps the title, but it's not going to happen. They're going to give it on, give it to Cody finally. Although I hope it Crazy. doesn't. I laughed so much last year when Roman beat him. Did you hear Bob how much more excited <laughs> Trey was to talk about WrestleMania? Than he was the college, the, the the lawsuits. Everyone's been calling him, hey, Trey, talk about Tennessee versus the NCAA. Talk about this. You know, he's given us just uh, the standard answers. I asked him about WrestleMania. Those those eyes lit up. You could hear it. Speaks to Whoa. his um, speaks to his diversity because uh, and his versatility because the dichotomy of talking about high powered legal stuff and now we're talking about wrestling. It all comes down to NASCAR, SEC football, and wrestling. Trey is a suit, a true Southern gentleman. Trey, appreciate your time. Talk to you later. I'm sure you got to run. See you, buddy. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. Appreciate Thanks, guys. Yep. Bye. NASCAR, SEC, and wrestling. I know Trey Wallace. It's quite a show we've had today, right? We've uh, covered it all. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, I just want to say, you know, I let I let you do the booking. You're running the show. You're the you're you're the you're the producer here, and just two of your guests. They've lit up when I've asked them about WrestleMania. Rick Butler and Trey Wallace. We got completely different vibes from them. Tennessee, blah 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 blah, and then oh, wrestling, oh Roman Reigns, Cody, the Bloodline. They they light up. We just need a cornhole segment, and we're all set today. We've covered everything. When you get when you can. Pack in 50,000 people across the country and, and, and cornhole, let me know. Okay? <laughs> they were just in Australia at 5 a.m. in the morning locally, not or U.S. time, and 50,000 people there. All right? All right? And people up all over the country watching it. Cornhole, get out of here. Get out of here. Let's go to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Where's Pat? I found this next story to be pretty fascinating, and it has the chance to be maybe the worst idea of all time. As Wendy's made news yesterday as they want to introduce Uber surge pricing in 2025. Bob, I assume you're familiar with Uber surge pricing, right? Oh, yeah. Sam, I'm sure you're familiar with Uber surge pricing. Yep. If you are in the audience and, and don't know what Uber surge pricing is... It's the model that, like, hey, dependent on the demand, we reserve the right to charge you more. Been a victim of it many times. Yeah. I mean, pretty much any time there's an event to take an Uber, you just got to pencil in some extra money. If yeah. you're leaving the bar at 1.30 a.m., you better pencil it in. The worst, oh, man, one of the worst nights of my life was after we beat Florida two years ago. And going to the bar. I walked. Well, I lived in Farragut, so uh, I had to just wait. And I like you were I, at the game. I, yeah, I went, I went to the game. I started drinking really early that day, and then after the game, I still went out. And just sitting at the bar, and I keep checking Uber, and it's like $90. And I'm like, I'm not spending it. Just the principle, <laughs> I'm not spending it. I kept waiting. I kept waiting. The surge price just never went down. Eventually, a friend came and got me and took me home. I was like, thank God. Yeah. Thank it's, you, God. It's like when we fly to Florida and you get to the airport. And it's because it's usually like around spring break or something. And uh, it's unless you've got somebody down there that can pick you up and, you know, otherwise you're going to get, you are going to get just raked over the coals. I've almost just started renting cars when I go places. Yeah. Now, you know, if you go to like a big city where you have to 
pay hotels for parking is a little bit different, but I'd rather just have my car and and be able in a new city to be able to drive around and not have to rely on Ubers. I hate taking Ubers. Shoelace Express always wins. The what? The Shoelace Express. <laughs> that's walking. <laughs> okay, I was yeah. like, I've never heard of it. Yeah, that's a good one. The Shoelace Express. Let your feet beat the streets. Mm-hmm. But Wendy's is going to experiment with the worst part of Uber and Lyft, which is <laughs> surge pricing, the thing we all hate about Uber and Lyft. They have not released details about whether or not this means that at 4 o'clock or midnight, if the burgers get cheaper. I'll, I'll say that Wendy's has already kind of lost my business in general. It's just too expensive for like what it is. Like, you can't get a combo for less than $11 anymore. And I can go eat somewhere nicer for 12 or $13, and I'm going to do that. Wendy's has kind of already, I don't want to say priced me out, but they have lost me on principle. They got rid of the four for four. Yeah. If I want a snack, it's a couple more calories, but you get so much more food if you just go like the Wendy's I go to in Farragut. There's a McDonald's right across the road. And if you just have the McDonald's app, you get all types of goodies on there, and you get more food for less money. So I, Wendy's has already kind of lost me, and this might be the death blow for for Wendy's when it comes to other people. If all of a sudden your Baconator goes from $12 as it is to $15 because there's a line outside, that seems crazy to me. Bob, from a business standpoint, is this as, as dangerous as I'm making it sound? I, th- I think it is. The part that I'm struggling with understanding, too, is how the economics of it works for for Wendy's from the standpoint. There's got to be some thinking behind it because what we know in this day and age, it's very hard to get help at these places, too. So you're, you know, they're, they're paying people more. And I wonder if that's been a motivator of this, um, you know, because their pricing is already high, like you said. I just don't understand what the what the logic behind it is. There's got to be some other motivator other than the obvious of they want to make more money, but it, it's harder and harder for these places to keep staffing in place, too. So we charge more at lunch or dinner time because, I mean, you'll see a line out there at 6 o'clock or so, people getting off work and going home. So we can raise the prices, which covers the cost of one more employee being there. We can pay them, that person to be there. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Or, or pay yeah, them better? Or pay them better so you, you at least attract people that sure. want to work there. To be the main yeah. fast food, not named Chick-fil-A job for people. Right, because I've seen some places. I don't see it at McDonald's, and I don't see it at Chick-fil-A. But you know, some of these other places, sometimes you've seen them, they'll close at 8 p.m. because they don't have enough help or whatever the, the case may be. The Hardys and Farragut, sadly enough, I know for a while was like closed after like 6 o'clock. It's like, we're not doing dinner. Yeah. Like, just go home. I was like, still sort of on the outskirts of COVID. That sense has changed, but yeah. Now the one on Cedar Bluff, I've seen that recently. They've done that too at that Hardy's where they close, you yeah. know, like 6 o'clock. Would that affect the people that are trying to work the late night hours then? If it's cheap late night or something like that, then it's cheap labor to work Maybe there. Like nobody well, I, wants I feel to like work late overnight. Night, I feel like late night you usually only have two or three people working anyways. Yeah, I guess So instead true. of like having five, like you just have two. Sure. But I don't think it's going to get cheaper. Like that, that's yeah. the thing about all these cost things. <laughs> Very rarely have they been like, you know what, once we start charging you more, we're going to go back to charging you less. Yeah. That, that hasn't really happened. It's like, hey, the consumer is used to paying this. This is the new baseline. That's true. I know we talk about that a lot around our house that we're not going to see uh, 
regression to the mean on expenses of any sort. I think I, you know, you see gas prices go down sometimes, but I think groceries, things like that, no way do I see them going back down anywhere, like considerably at least. I was going to say, I feel like gas sometimes will go back down whenever people complain about it enough. Yeah. Milk in my mind fluctuates a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Does milk not get cheaper? Has it just kind of been a steady increase on price? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't on that. drink milk anymore, so okay. I really don't know. Yeah. But. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Cause I know Mayfield's was under fire for how expensive their milk had gotten. Still the same for me. Okay. Two gallons a week, baby. Let's go straight to the cow. <laughs> but things like, you price know, of the cow ain't changed. You can just get your milk straight. <laughs> we from had this, source. we had this birthday get together and went out and bought soda this weekend. You know, we had bought some beer and soda and stuff like that. And so like a 12 pack of soda is like eight bucks at this point. Where I went to Kroger on Sunday, it was nine ninety nine for a 12 pack. Crazy. Which should motivate me to quit drinking soda. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but I actually waited. And it was like, buy two, get two free. So it was like $20 for four 12-packs. That's not that bad. That'll stock me up. I get my Sprite Zeros to mix with my liquor. I get me some Cokes for a little pick-me-up when I get home. Good to go. So I was like, here's two Sprite Zeros. Here's two Here's uh, two Cokes. $20. And I was like, this is crazy. The two... the. The two liters had been what had surprised me. It's like three fifty for a two liter now. I hadn't really thought about how expensive the twelve packs had gotten until I went in there. It was like nine ninety nine because I'm walking out with two pounds of salmon, uh, some mayonnaise, some blueberries, and four twelve packs of soda. It's a hell of an order. <laughs> but it was like fifty six dollars. I was like, what the hell has happened to him to this country I used to love? What Man the can't hell get the essentials happened? of salmon, blueberries, mayo, and soda. <laughs> All the way down to that, potato chips, another one, man. Just I was I was just about to say that. I went to the store yesterday. I bought tortilla chips, seven dollars. Yeah. Really? See, I was gonna say I figured I figured the chips had gone with the shrinkflation method of we're gonna keep the prices around three fifty, but you're just gonna get like a fraction of what you used to get. And they do this number like, oh, but you can get them for three ninety nine if you buy six of them or five yeah. of them. And it's <laughs> well, like with soda, that's okay. With chips, I don't want seven bags of chips. No, you don't have enough room in your, in, in your pantry unless yeah. you're like in LeBron James's house and you have like a pantry <laughs> the size of this room. You know, I mean, it's crazy. I got a little cart next to my fridge that I can like stack my soda on and put some in the fridge, and I have my liquor up there and like some other stuff. So I'm able to to kind of survive with that. But yeah, there's not a lot of things I could buy bulk of and yeah and store. And I just think Wendy's has got some some damn nerve to all of a sudden be like, hey, if it's dinner time, you're going to be paying $15 for this burger. I think they got some damn nerve. Because you're already going to be mad enough waiting in line. Right? Like, you're already going to be, is that it? I mean, they're trying to say, hey, we're doing too much business. We're trying to, let's sell two burgers instead of three and make the same amount of money. Let's get some people out of line. I don't know. But, yeah, they're going to have digital Digital menus where the price is constantly fluctuating. <laughs> think you'll have people like rolling around the drive-through like five times in a row waiting for that burger price to go down a dollar. I mean, <laughs> you you laugh, you laugh, but not to again talk about eating at Hardee's, which is kind of sad. But like, I pull up to Hardee's, and for a while, Hardee's like, "Hey, after two o'clock," which is basically you know their their breakfast is big, their lunch is still solid, but then basically after two o'clock, like, "Hey, you can get ten tenders, ten chicken tenders for seven ninety nine." And the chicken tenders are pretty good. I was like, okay. I frequented that. I'd come home from the gym. I was like, here, I'm just going to load up on chicken. I'll eat that at, you know, like at 5 o'clock. And I'll eat a couple more at 7 or 8 o'clock. I pulled up. Like, hey, we're not doing that promotion anymore. It's going to be $12. I said, well, nope. See you later. And I pulled out. There. 
over four dollars. I mean, which whatever. But like, I was like, nope, not. It was a principle of the matter. It's a principle. Yeah. They got rid of the deal. I'm not paying it. So if Wendy's was all of a sudden like, hey, fifteen dollar burger, I pull up at that menu price. Nope, I'm out. See ya. I just wonder if it'll be like Uber, you know, where sometimes you can catch the one where you can get the maybe the fifteen dollar ride and the surge of the forty fives. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's, Circle back around three minutes later. <laughs> yeah. If you just look at the drive-through now, wouldn't that give you an indicator that right the pricing is going to be higher? If there's nobody there, then maybe you slide in. And right. <laughs> maybe if you schedule the order, because that, yeah. that that is a workaround on Uber. Like if you have an idea that there's going to be surge pricing, Cam always said he took a lot of Ubers that if you like schedule it the day before. I never trust that. Me neither. But it's like if you do do that, apparently that kind of bypasses the surge pricing. But if you're the driver and you see that, you're going to be cancel surge time. I don't know. Anyways, there's your Wendy's talk. Look ahead to college basketball tonight. Anything big on the menu? (laughs) Anything big on the menu that's going to directly impact Tennessee? Because at this point, that's pretty much all I care about when it comes to my college basketball is does it affect my balls? Affect with an A, Sam, not E. Kansas, maybe. Play BYU. But Houston, I mean, even if Houston loses a game, they're probably going to retain a number one seed. Yeah. I think so. Houston would have to lose out to yeah. like get bounced early in the SEC yeah. in their conference tournament. But yeah, I think I think Sam's right. I think Kansas uh, hosting BYU is uh, is a game to pay attention I to. I don't like watching those white boys from BYU. I don't like it. I don't like their brand of basketball. I don't either. The one road game I watched, they were miserable. They kept trying to dump it in the post. I was like, just fire some threes, man. Jack them up. Let's go. Did you see the video that BYU posted yesterday, though? They had, uh, I think they had some walk-on tryouts, and they had Jimmer Fredette go on in, like, a fat suit and a new put on a wig and everything, and he was just draining threes. Everyone was like, who is this guy? Can't wait for the Glenn Powell series where he (laughs) turns into Jimmer Fredette. (laughs) In the SEC, we got, what, Kentucky at Mississippi State, so – I guess that somewhat affects Tennessee. Like Kentucky's still not technically out of the SEC championship race. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm more intrigued about what what Kentucky team will show up because uh, actually we were, uh, bumped into uh, our basketball coach yesterday and we were talking about Kentucky at Mississippi State and he said that you know obviously Mississippi State's going to grind them but he said he also feels Mississippi State can't score enough points to beat Kentucky he, he said even if Kentucky's off a little they're still going to score enough because of the offensive firepower they've got I probably tend to agree so uh, inside information from directly inside the SEC a top five coach over a, over a top five program is saying take Kentucky because Kentucky's three and a half point dogs at Mississippi State He's saying take take the Wildcats. I'd say he's yeah he was and it's true if you look at Mississippi State they don't score typically um, so they would have to lock Kentucky down quite a bit if you think about it so I don't know if Coach Barnes would like me taking his advice and taking it to gamble but Kentucky plus three and a half does look pretty tasty although Mississippi State's on a little bit of a win streak they won five in a row so I guess that's why they're favored. They they haven't beaten anybody during, during that stretch, though. Georgia, Missouri, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and LSU. I want to see how Big ZD does tonight. I was waiting on that. I was waiting on that. You boys to get back on the Big ZD train. He had a pretty good game <laughs> against Alabama. He did. He did. He's, uh, he's uh, the Serbian rocket is what I'm going to start calling him. 18 points, five rebounds. Four blocks. Yeah. 20 minutes, he played pretty well. He had a no-look pass that 
it was a hell of a pass for a big guy. It was kind of a Jokic type, you know, in the lane. The guy missed the dunk to convert it, but it was still a great pass. I gotta be honest. I don't think there's anything more overrated in sports than the no look pass. Well, this when I say no look, he had his back to where the guy was cutting. So I mean, he, it wasn't even a no look. It was like he wasn't, you know, he was looking in the other direction entirely. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was. He saw the cutter, sensed him, passed it. I tried to be a hater of all old things, but I watched some of those old Magic Johnson clips, and I'm like, that's. He looks away. Like, he yeah, throws no, those... a pass and looks away. Like, I got a pretty good idea of where my teammate's going to be. I, I can throw no-look passes in basketball. Like, I can do that. If I could go out on the court and do that and have a good idea of, like, hey, I don't have to look at him, my cutter over here in my peripheral, if I could do it, it's kind of overrated. That's my takeaway. Anything athletic. If I could do it, can't be that tough. As we go out the door, on that note, are you a fan, then, of it's not a pass, but it, when Steph Curry shoots the three and turns his back and starts running away? I can't do that, so yes. Yeah. I mean, every now and then I've let us off, like, oh, that's in, but like, yeah. not as many as Steph. It's cool when Steph does it. It's really cool when Steph does it. Yeah, he's cool. He's got swag. Yeah. yeah. He might I, be as good a golfer as Max Homa, too. You never know. More people would have watched if Steph Curry was in. I would have watched if Steph Curry was playing. Anthony Kim returning to live this week. Ranked as high as number 14 in the world. So pretty mediocre, but he'll Who? be good. Anthony Kim. He's ranked as number 14 in the world. Oh, you mean in ranked the Ranked as high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty pretty mediocre, but he'll be good. I mean, kind of a budgeting star, but somebody who hadn't broken through. It kind of proves my point. Thank you. Uh, it also, was like 22. I think it's a little different when you're 22 versus 34 and ranked number 14 in <laughs> yes, the world or whatever. 12 but, years, but yeah. either way, either, either way uh, the G.I. Jake show coming up next. Ever been the coach who 